What's up, guys? Welcome to The Sesh. Today, I have a very special guest. Drew, introduce yourself. Tell everybody what you do. Right on. My name is Drew Lentz. Uh, online, people find me at the Wireless Nerd, so wirelessnerd.net on Twitter and Instagram and all those socials. I'm Wireless Nerd. Um, I have a, a nonprofit organization that we founded in the Rio Grande Valley about 10 years ago called Code RGV, and we specialize in um, in technology education, training, robotics, you know, VR, all kinds of stuff, uh, supplementing educational resources in the Rio Grande Valley for students who are interested in becoming better nerds. Building better nerds is our is our theme. Um, I've also got a great career. I, uh, right now I work for Cisco Systems, the largest networking equipment manufacturer in the world. Previous to this, I worked at uh, Meta for about a year working on a product or a project to connect the unconnected. And then the last five years before that, working for one of the largest uh, cable operators in North America. But all in all, I've been involved in connectivity in some ways since I was about 14, building the first internet service providers down here in the RGV. So, so I'm super interested in this because uh, the internet has literally changed my life since 2015, since I got in it, right? So, a little bit, a little bit, I would say. <laughs> but I'm fascinated with it because uh, I feel like the Rio Grande Valley is always behind. And I ran into your article on, on LinkedIn yep. and then I watched it on on YouTube, kind of touch on the subject of what you were talking about with that. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> man, it's it's going to take a minute. I get real passionate real quick. So, <laughs> you know, I uh, cue, cue the world's smallest violin, right? Uh, I grew up in a Colonia outside of Mercedes. Um, and my claim to fame that I tell everyone is that I was the only kid with indoor plumbing, right? Huh. And I used to get real jealous of my friends because every year they would go on these trips, man, my, my neighbor Carlitos would, he would go up and he would go to, he would go to Iowa and he'd go to Kansas and he'd go to, you know, all these, all these States. And I was like, man, this kid gets to go everywhere. I don't get to go anywhere. Like I go back and forth from here to Arkansas where my mom's family's from. Like, I want to go to these great States. Well, dude, he's a migrant field worker. <laughs> like, and I didn't know that yeah. as a kid. I was just like, dude, just that guy traveling. needs to travel, <laughs> you know? Um, but I, you know, it, 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 the simplicity of being a kid, right? Um, I grew up in that environment and I grew up, um, I grew up, like I said, in, you know, in the outskirts of Mercedes and, um, it's just a different world. You know, mid Valley is a different world <laughs> than anywhere else in, not just in the Rio Grande Valley, but anywhere in the United States and anywhere in, in Texas. And so, um, you know, about, about 14, uh, about the age of 14 or so, I got my first computer and I was like, man, this is really cool. It'd be cool if it could connect to something. And I started learning about the internet and I started learning about how, uh, how connectivity happened. And my mom was a teacher here in McAllen for a long time at Jackson elementary. And, and before that she would teach at a couple different, a couple different districts. I went to school out in Alton. She taught out in Alton, basically lots of these hood places, these great <laughs> hood places. Shout out to, shout out to Cantu elementary, man. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> but I always had this desire to see things get connected. And when my mom had access to this network called Tenet, the Texas Educator Network, she had this dial-in number and you know, I was like, oh, this is great. And I found this thing called Gopher. And I found these, you know, these libraries where I could go to the National Library of Congress and actually read things that were there, but from my house in Mercedes. And it was like, man, then all of a sudden these web pages these things called web pages popped up. I was like, man, this what is year great. Was this? Oh God, this was like 94, 92, okay. somewhere in yeah, 92 to 94 around there. And I was like, dude, this is like, this is really interesting. And it dawned on me that the access to the resources that I had, even then, you know, I had moved from the Colonia into the South side of the city, uh, in Mercedes, <laughs> still, still in mercy town, man, queen city, you know, uh, even the resources that I had were resources that people that I grew up with didn't have. And I was like, man, imagine what it would be like if everybody had equal access to this stuff. 
And that like that started it. <laughs> that started that passion. Um, so I went and I helped build some internet service providers in the Rio Grande Valley. And I noticed that, you know, even at that time, Highline Internet Services was the name of one of the first companies I worked with. And we had educator discounts where we could give discounts to people who were who were teachers and for police, fire, EMS and stuff like that. But it started to even at that time, it started to show that there was a segmentation in the people who had access and those who didn't have access. And back then it wasn't a big deal because it was, it was a nice to have, it wasn't a need to have, you know, right. it was like, Oh yeah, I was on your know, CompuServe or whatever. And you can you know download stuff and play games and whatever. Uh, and then, you know, those who had it, you could email and get on aim, right? Whoo. Trash cans blowing up outside. <laughs> By the way, we also have a hummingbird in here. I might get crapped on. You so. need to <laughs> <laughs> did you put popcorn by the window? I, did, Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if hummingbirds like popcorn. Maybe some, a flower might be nice. I don't know, man. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So, so what I noticed is like, even at an early age, man, uh, even early in the internet, the Valley started to have this, the haves and the have nots. And there's no middle ground when it comes to something as binary as access. Here you have it or you don't have it. Right. And and we tried to figure out programs where we could get access to people who didn't have the financial means to get it. Educator discounts for teachers. You know, obviously educators always have a special place in, in my heart. Um, but a lot of us there, you know, we wanted to make sure that we could provide the resources to the people who needed it the most. Well, as the world grew and as internet access grew, what you ended up with was what is referred to today as the digital divide. And so the digital divide is basically anyone who has access and those who don't have access, that delta between the two is not just the division of who has access or, or who has connectivity, but it's who can who can take advantage of all of the services that come with it. So, I mean, when's the last time you you stood in line for something that you couldn't have done online? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's everything from healthcare and and you know telemedicine to voter registrations to I mean everything. Every, paying your water bill, everything is available online. And the problem is that if you don't have access to that, you start to get left behind. And so you get a whole community of people that are left behind because they just, they, they don't have it for, for some reason or another. What a percentage of the Rio Grande Valley is that divide? Like what is that? Yeah. Like? So the numbers, um, there's a, there's a, there's all these interesting numbers, right? And it, a lot, there hasn't been a study in the last couple of years, but the, the big study, that shook everyone was that only th there was a 37% take rate to broadband access in the Rio Grande Valley. And so what that means is that even though it's available in about a hundred percent of the areas in the Rio Grande Valley, only 37% of the people actually subscribe to those services. So and let me quantify that, right? Because there's a lot of hate that comes with that statement. People are like, well, we don't have broadband access everywhere. I mean, they do Starlink right now, for example, I've got, I could take my Starlink satellite and go anywhere in the Rio Grande Valley and have 300 megabit per second internet service. It's a hundred bucks a month and it costs me $500 to buy the, the Starlink kit, but that doesn't mean I can't get it. T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T, for the most part, cover a lot of the areas that we live in. hundred megabit service, 30 megabit service. It's available. Can people afford the plans that, that it requires to do that? Spectrum is available in you know ubiquitously in just about every major area down here, but people just can't afford it. And so what you end up with is in the Rio Grande Valley alone, 
that 37% number that, that's a few years old was super impactful in the sense that it's like, well, why doesn't everybody have it? There must be something wrong. The three most disconnected cities in the United States, do you know what they are? I have no idea. Far, Harlingen, and Brownsville. <laughs> in the United States. In the United States, right? Wow. So, so those were, and that was up until last year. So, and we'll talk about that, right? So you have in the Rio Grande Valley, it's not just a digital divide. I mean, it's a chasm right down here where the haves and the haves nots are so, so separated that people started to pay a lot of attention to it. And they started to say, well, what can we do to make it better? And, and across the nation, we're seeing this, right? This isn't just down here. This is, you know, Native Americans. This is, this is any, any tribal lands, it's same thing. You know, tribal lands where no one went and was like, oh, we're going to run fiber onto the, right. you know, onto the, onto the reservation, right? So that everyone, no, no one thought about that, right? Um, and, and, and not, just, not just the colonias here in South Texas, although they are the most affected, right, in the United States, but any low-income area outside of a major metropolitan city, you know, has these problems there's there's some crazy statistics that i was looking up and i'm gonna i'm gonna use my phone because i had a i was reading this and i was like damn i mean it's it's fascinating um okay so check this out so it's about rural texas and about how rural texas is is disproportionately affected by that right so almost 2.8 million texas households and 7 million people lack broadband access as of 2022 so a year ago right either because the infrastructure doesn't reach their homes or because they're not subscribed to that service. Um, so 96, according to the to Governor Abbott's Broadband Development Council, which is a phenomenal thing that he's put together, politics aside, like I, you know, I have my own viewpoints politically, but the fact that, that we're focusing on broadband, that's, it doesn't matter who you vote, you know, like it doesn't matter Republican, Democrat, that's an issue, like period, independent as well. Like that's, that's an issue. And I'm glad to see that there's some light being shown on that, especially we've got a representative. We have a, I think, I know we have one representative from the Rio Grande Valley. That's a part of that. Mr. Alonzo Cantu is a part of the broadband development council, which is great. Uh, talk about someone who's invested in the Valley. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, 96.78% of households in Texas have access to broadband speeds. However, 286,908 households remain unserved, uh, of, of that service. And of those, 200, about 247,000 are in rural Texas. It means that 692,000 rural Texans cannot access broadband at home compared to the 100,000 urban Texans that can. So rural Texans represent roughly 85% of all Texans who cannot access broadband. Wow. Interesting. Lots, lots of, lots of yeah, digest yeah. there, right? So what you have is, is basically what it's, what it's calling out there is that rural Texas has an issue. Dude, the valley is rural Texas. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, for as much as people want to think that we're some, you know, some big area that McAllen's, you know, the the meta meta, right? No, it's, dude, this is just everything. McAllen, for the most part, even the outskirts are still considered rural. I mean, there's lots of rural areas that are here by definition. And so that gap, I mean, if you think about everything between McAllen and Harlingen, mm -hmm. dude, you go one mile north and one mile south of Expressway 83, North and south of that, that's yeah. rural. That's rural Texas. And those are the people that don't have that connectivity. And and yeah, and and it's not because they don't have act. It's not because they don't have the the capable. God, what's what's the right word? It's not because they don't have 
services that are available to them, it's because they don't subscribe to it. It's because they don't subscribe to it because maybe they can't subscribe to it. And this is a long, long, I'm giving you lots of content, right? <laughs> well, that that's like the affordability issue. Then. So this is where it that's becomes it the affordability issue. Absolutely. And what happens is, is in the real ground, and I should have done my research before I came in. I mean, we can, we can just look it up, right? When you look at the real grand Valley, and you look at the median household income in some of these places. Let's type it up. Let's let's use the internet. Median household income. Pick pick a city, man. Uh, just put McAllen. No, no, no. Pick a smaller city. Far. No, no smaller. Let's go <laughs> Alamo. 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 Uh, let's let's check out median household income in Alamo, Texas. Right, according to city data, uh, average household income in Alamo is fifty one thousand with a poverty rate of thirty six percent. Okay. Um, uh, median age is thirty one. Uh, for males, and they have uh, they have a high population that's over the age of sixty five. So, what does that tell us, right? There's a lot of interesting things there. Fifty grand a year, right? Is that what it was? Yeah, fifty grand. Was fifty grand a year. Okay, well, let's break that down, right? Fifty thousand bucks a year is how much a month? Like four grand a month? Yeah, around. Say, say, okay. But then this is all before taxes, right? So, four grand a month. Let's pull some taxes out there. Let's say it's thirty five hundred months. Say it's three thousand a month, right? You've got house, which is going to be five hundred to a thousand bucks a month. Mm-hmm. So let's bring it down to twenty five hundred. Then you're at you're twenty five hundred bucks a month. You've got food, which is going to be a couple hundred bucks a week, maybe two hundred bucks a week, hundred bucks a week. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't I don't know what the what the household budgets are, but let's say it's two hundred a week, right? So two hundred a week. That's another eight hundred. So let's that brings us down to like seventeen hundred dollars a month. Seventeen hundred dollars a month. You got gas. You got to put in your car. Right. So say 40 bucks every time you got to fill up 60 bucks every time you got to fill up. That's our, you know, $240. So it slowly starts to, to get down, get down, get down. Before you know it, you're sitting at less than a thousand dollars a month of expendable income in some way, shape or form. And that's like on a good day, on a good day. Right. Yeah. So that's not including clothes and heaven forbid healthcare, uh, getting a flat tire. There were some interesting uh, statistics done by the by the community advisory board I'm a part of with UT Health uh, Science Center in Brownsville, and it was showing that n- something like 90 percent of the Rio Grande Valley can't afford to have a flat tire. Wow. Yeah, I mean so the statistics in our area are staggering, and 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 when you start when you think about it, there's a lot of people in McAllen, and there's a lot of people in Harlingen and in Brownsville that that that, that doesn't affect, mm-hmm. right? Which is great, which is great for for them. But you can't ignore the people that that does affect. Right. And and the problem is, is that when you start to say, well, you know what? This family has $300 a month in income that they can use. Well, I mean, what's your cell phone bill? What's right. your cable bill? What's your, you know, think about all, like, think about all the little things just this morning. And, you know, again, I'm, uh, I'm lucky enough to be able to say, you know, I got a, I didn't actually get a Starbucks coffee this morning. I made my coffee at home. <laughs> but, <laughs> but. You know, just this morning, if I think, you know, I might have spent $20 and maybe in a day I might spend, you know, anywhere between 20 and a hundred bucks on stupid stuff. To be honest, there's the people that don't have that expendable income are in a situation where they have to make every dollar count. They have to make every dollar maximized. Okay. So where does broadband rank on that chart? Right. And how high does it rank? And and more importantly, what we saw during COVID was you had a lot of students, I mean, a lot of students who were going to school, 
but their parents had to figure out how to work. I'm sorry, that weren't going to school and whose parents had to work. Yeah. So here, let me, let me recut that for you. It's during COVID. <laughs> so during COVID, you had a lot of students that were, that were stay at home, but the parents still had jobs. And what happened was the parents would leave and the kids would be left to fend for themselves in one way or another, or they would go to their grandma's house. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so like, you know, anyone who's listening, raise your hand if you're a well, I cares about internet access, right? No, they don't care. They don't care about broadband and Wi-Fi and Roku and all this other stuff, you know, teams, you know, zoom, right, like yeah. they don't care. So what we saw was this disproportion, this disproportionate amount of students who, lost their connectivity because they were going to places that either lived on a fixed income Mm -hmm. or that lived because their sons and daughters were paying for them to live in the house that they lived in. You, you know, ultimately we saw these issues with affordability crop up huge because now when everybody needed it, it was like, okay, well who has it and where is it? The problem that we have in the Rio Grande Valley, like we just showcased in Alamo is that, that even though it's available to everybody who lives here, it's the amount of people that can actually pay to consume those services that subscribe to it. A lot of people use their phones. You just, you know, I'm, I'm staring at my phone, right? A lot of people just use their phones to get online. And there's been all these studies done where it's like, is that an appropriate way for a kid to do homework like this? You know, like with their, with their nose buried in the phone. How does that affect their ability to take a test? How does that affect their ability to learn? You know, and granted, the new generation is changing a lot of that because that's they're native to those things. But when you get in this weird, this weird uh, element where, where people aren't those digital natives, the ones who are in high school and junior high who were affected by COVID that affected them, that affected their ability to, to learn, to understand and to, to be productive, you know, students. And so what you have is that you have these people, the, these groups of people who can't or won't afford internet access, even though it's available. And now we're seeing how detrimental that can be to those students and to those families. And more importantly, also to those adults and to those senior citizens. So that whole term digital divide has now taken this shift. It's no longer a digital divide. It's also a data divide. And that goes back to voting. That goes back to, I mean, look at, look at what just happened at McAllen Memorial High School last week, right? Do you know about what happened yeah, with this? Yeah, Terrible, man. Yeah. Freaking school goes into lockdown. They say that there's a school shooter. There's, there's cops running up and down with AR-15s. Like, you know, people are going crazy. The school didn't mail home a letter that, to any parent that said, hey, your, your kid was in danger, right? How did people find out about it? Yeah, TikTok, media, man, internet, you know? Yeah. And... If the parents didn't know that that was happening because they're not on TikTok or the grandparents who have to pick up the kid didn't know that was happening, then how informed are they? And that's just one tiny example. Then you start to get into everything else. Look at, look well, at, that's the speed of the internet. That's, that's a very interesting immediacy. Thing yeah. yeah. And, and look at elections, right? Look at every text message that you get about, about an event that's happening, a social event, a civic event. Look at the way that, that everybody is now assuming that everyone has connectivity, right? Right, And when you do that, you have to also look at the group of people that are going to miss out on that. So as the world moves f- closer to being completely connected, those that are left behind, it's not, it's not just that they're left behind on one or two things. They're left out of the conversation. They're left out of being able to take advantage of the healthcare, to take advantage of, you know, telemedicine. They're left out of being informed. 
Yeah, God, I mean, look at our elections. Look at look at the drama that's going on just in politics right now. And imagine this, the only source of news that they get is a source of news that's one of the most radical sides on either side of it. They don't have any way to, to check that. They don't have any way to counterbalance that. And and what's happening is this whole group of people is being alienated. And unfortunately, it, it affects us in the Rio Grande Valley more than it does anywhere else because we have some of the lowest broadband penetration rates. We have some of the lowest take rates when it comes to this. So, so then this has to be a long-term play, right, for these companies that are coming in because right now inflation is going to happen. It's, it's already it's, it's already happening. So there's no way that these people are going to be able to afford anything else. They, you have to work more just to afford this exact same things. That's right. I mean, and that's and again, I told you I was going to talk forever. So, <laughs> but you can you can cut it however you need. Um, but yeah, I mean. It's, it, we're not going to stop, right? We're not going to stop moving forward. I, I heard a really interesting comment yesterday. Um, I'm following all the AI stuff super yeah, close. Same man. Here, man. God, it's <laughs> fascinating. Have you seen the Kanye video? I know. Dude, I have so, so there's this guy. I'll show it to you after all this, right? There's this guy who who um, was looking at the power of voice AI. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, hey, he goes, check this out. There's a model of Kanye West. There's an AI trained model of Kanye West. And he says, man, it blew my mind when I stopped to think about the implications of what this is and how it can affect the music industry. He says, so I wanted to try it out. So he downloaded, he he got the model for Kanye. And he's like, look, I'm not a rapper, but I'm going to spit some bars. And so he's like, I put together eight bars, like we're going to do this. And he says this rap that was like anti-Kanye, which is kind of funny because I'm not the biggest Kanye <laughs> fan in the world. But so he's like, uh, so he, he spits this rhyme about Kanye and he's like this white guy, right? And so it doesn't sound anything like <laughs> Kanye West, but there's a beat that he found online that kind of sounds like a Kanye beat. And so he takes that, he runs it through the deal and then he's like, all right, let's check it out. And he hits play and dude, it sounds like Kanye West. Wow. And it's, you know, it's talking about how, the bad decisions he's made and like all this. <laughs> well, it's, let's, let's stay on that subject because uh, artificial intelligence has been fascinating to me ever since it, I started using chat GPT uh, back in January and I sat with it for two to three hours a day just to learn it. Yeah. And I think it's a very interesting thing because uh, it's a tool. It's a tool. It's a tool to help your product productivity but a lot of people see like they look at it and they're like no nah, it's 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 not you no, it's, but it doesn't matter because the future is going too fast it's so great and that's that's where i was going with this is that one of the things that guy says in the video he does it and he's like oh my he's like blown away he's he says oh my gosh this is this is better than i thought it would be and i was reading i was reading about it and and, and watching that video and he says he says this is the worst that AI will ever be, mm-hmm. which is mind blowing considering how good it is. And, you know, his implications are it, it, just to fall down that rabbit hole. He says, you know, imagine a time when uh, Lady Gaga decides that she's going to train a model of her voice and she's going to make it available. And let's say that the, your wife is a hell of a songwriter. But she's got a terrible, I don't know. I mean, I love your wife. I don't know if she has a terrible voice. She's a great dancer. I know that much. But in all fairness, for anyone who doesn't know, his wife was my daughter's ballet teacher. So that's, there we go. Let me clarify that real quick. Not a dancer somewhere else. (laughs) Let's just not go down that road. Also, I told my kid I was hanging out with your son, with, with his friend's dad all day today. So that's, you know, our kids are in the same school. So, 
where your wife works. <laughs> anyway, so now that I've gone off on that tangent, imagine, uh, imagine Kathy's got like this incredible ability to write a song, but like the voice of like that voice in Little Mermaid. Yeah. Right? Imagine if she decides she's going to take that song and she's going to apply Lady Gaga's AI to it and make a song and upload it to Spotify. And then Lady Gaga gets compensated for using her voice, but your wife makes residuals also because it's her song that went out there. Yeah. Stop and think about how that changes the music industry. Well, that's where, where the, the like, great dude, thing of NFTs come into play. Well, yeah. Um, uh, yes, because you have to have non-fungible, right? You have to Verified have... Verified ownership. Authenticity. Yeah. And, but hold on. I mean, is that like... Is that better or worse? Because then, I mean, I just, it's, it's mind blowing to stop and think about the implications of this when you, when you don't just think about, don't just think about, uh, uh, voices of music. Think about everything else. Do more. You're telling me that if Morgan Freeman trained a, trained a voice, uh, an AI deal of his voice and all of a sudden he could be the narrator to everything. Yeah. Dude, and he was making residuals and you're making residuals. I mean, come on, man. Like, yeah. you would have him doing your intro. You know what I mean? Yeah, it would absolutely. Be like, like, think well, of... And, an interesting and, thing, too, is I was in, in New York uh, last week and I, I saw a telemedicine place that it, I was getting ads for it on Facebook. It was just a screen. So you go in there, the screen diagnoses you. You go into a room, <laughs> you take your clothes off. The screen literally does everything. It's, it's with artificial intelligence. And then when the doctor, the clinician is ready, that'll come in. Mm -hmm. And they'll do the thing and you're out. Like it's literally all online, dude. It's a, a like probably like the size of that size of the studio. Like it's <laughs> like small. little 10 by 10. Yeah, it, it's it's going to happen. It's already happening. It's, you know, we saw, I saw some of those at CES this year. I saw some of the, the artificial intelligence, um, uh, not diagnosis, but people, you know, where it's, where you want to go talk to, you want to go talk to a therapist, mm -hmm. Right. So your therapist is AI generated. I saw what you did uh, with Raquel, by the way. I yeah. mean, it's like you're spot on with that. Yeah. It's these are you want to go see a therapist who listens only to you, who knows everything about you. Well, you you know you give them all your medical information, you train them, and it's an a, it's it's basically Chat GPT with the face, yeah. you know, and, and the giving you thing, proper diagnosis. You know, you know? The crazy thing about that is you can use that open source software. <laughs> like talk about that because Dude, you can we can literally make an app that can do that right now. Yeah, open it's, source. You know, there's a there's a company that's started in the valley that that uh it's man and to watch him grow has been tremendous there's a company called codism you know those guys yeah yeah have you seen what they did recently with no, oh my god seen. dude so oriel's like a kid's a kid he's just younger than i am he's not a kid <laughs> another level right what they did is they were like man chat gpt is great and all these other things are great but what would happen if you combine all of them and you made this this deal and so he wrote this I don't know, middleware. He wrote this program on this, on his website. I forgot the name of, so I can't plug it, but he wrote, he wrote this deal where, where lawyers, for example, you go in and you feed one of the AI engines, the neural networks, you feed it all of your, all of your documents mm -hmm. and everything goes in there. And then another one comes in and it goes and it keywords, everything and it finds it. And then you can use something like chat GPT to be an oral interface for it, where you can be like, you know, get on, get on your phone and say, okay, show me all the case documents relating to, you know, Josh Morales mm -hmm. and, and it populates it. Wow. So instead of having to go search and use this and whatever, it uses AI 
in context to specific applications or specific data sets. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, so stop and think about if you had an AI engine for you. Mm-hmm. Right or for me, that knew every that that scraped all my social media, that scraped all of that stuff, but also went through all my personal text messages and went through all my notes, and then I can feed up my medical records and everything else, so that now I have an AI interface to myself. Wow! Where when I want to ask a question, you know, it's not. Man, remember that time? Yeah, you know, yeah. remember that time we were in, uh, you know, in Austin, and we were eating at that restaurant with the sushi. Imagine being able to ask yourself that. Imagine being able to ask a better version of yourself that and get an immediate response, including pictures and maps and photos and all how the content. How do you feel like that's going to make the human race? Of, oh, do you God. think it's just be like, all right, here. Well, so, so, so to tie this back, though, man, we're talking about some stuff that's like so far. It's not far-fetched. It's not what's far happening fetched. right now. This yeah. isn't like crazy. These aren't crazy thoughts. Well, the technology is exponential. It's, exponential. It's crazy. The quicker it grows, the quicker it grows. Yeah. It's like it's like that country music song. The more I drink, the more I drink, you know? Like, <laughs> well, the thing is... It grows and grows and grows. <laughs> Elon Musk just came out with a letter. Did you hear about that? Uh-uh. So he came out oh, with a letter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying like, slow, slow down. down. at least for six months. And and and, and Friedman... No, it's not Friedman. It's uh, the one from open source. Yeah. He was like, he agrees. He's scared yes, of... They're of all AI. going, wait a minute. So what, what do you foresee going on like in the next six months especially so, with now with like inflation and china and all this russia that, man dude it's it's a very it's, particular place where united states is yeah and the the implementation of artificial intelligence like what does that look like in your head it's you know it and and also to tie it back to this conversation that that brought me in the door here is that man we're talking about things that people can consume and they can use to make their lives seemingly better Eh, you know, like, yeah. like let's, let's, let's be optimistic and let's say that all these things are going to have a net positive effect. It's only for the people that can consume them. It's right. only for the people that can use them. And if we look at the Rio Grande Valley, there's still a substantial amount of people here that cannot act. They can't even access them to use them. They don't have the connectivity to be able to get online because they can't afford it. And that's a travesty, right? Um, and that's, you know, to jump back into that real quick, it's when you look at initiatives like the city of McAllen to provide, to provide Wi-Fi across the city, not for $10 a month or $5 a month, but for free, like just do it for free. I mean, I can't, I don't think everyone understands the impact that Mayor Jim Darling had on the city of McAllen and on the future generations of the city of McAllen. And I say that because the way, the way that that entire project came about was by using the mayor's discretionary fund. And so every year the city of McAllen, you know, the mayor has a little kitty that they can use to, to stamp their, their mark on the city, you know, and he had saved up some money for that. And the good news is that I, I believe it's been reimbursed. I think it's been reimbursed, but that didn't stop them from doing it, which to me was great. They said, we're going to use mayor discretionary fund. We're just going to buy it. And if, if we get reimbursed, great, even better. And so that's what they did. And, and, that project has allowed people to have connectivity all in, in different pockets all over the city of McAllen. And there's not a student in the city right now that either doesn't have Wi-Fi outside of their home, that doesn't have the ability to subscribe to low-cost services using something like an ACP voucher, or that can't pick up a hotspot to take home. And what that's going to do for the, for the students 
I hear the hummingbird. What that's going to do for the students in McAllen ISD is tremendous, not just for today, but for all these generations further down the line, right? To see FAR jumping in and having the, an initiative like they have is tremendous. Do I think they're pros and cons? Absolutely. Um, do I wish it was all free? Absolutely. Have I told the mayor that? Absolutely. I hope Amos is, is listening. Uh, you know, I think that, that they're on the right path there. Um, Brownsville has been talking about doing something forever. That's all I'm going to say about that. They just it. keep talking and talking and talking. All these other communities are having conversations, but there are very few that are moving forward to give opportunity to the people that live in their communities. So what does that look like then from, from a standpoint of like, if I was the mayor, how would I connect my whole city? What is that it's, process? Look it's, like? I mean, look, I'm, I'm biased, right? Because I have a, I mean, yeah. in, in, in full transparency, I have a consulting company that so focuses out, on doing this lay out for people. Like, <laughs> so lay out a business plan for a mayor. Like this is what you do. This Listen, is how you do it. I told, I told someone the other day, I love, I love being from the Valley and, and, uh, and I don't get on TikTok very often. I just, I'm not, cause I'm 45, bro. I mean, it's like, that's why I don't get on TikTok. Like it's, I don't, not cause I don't like it or cause China, you know, it's cause I'm 45. I don't get on TikTok. I mean, so I get on it the other day and I saw this, uh, this barbecue guy from Austin talking about things that you say from the Rio Grande Valley, you know, like, uh, like muy muy, like, Oh, look, you're a muy muy <laughs> things I had forgotten about, dude. Cagging the stick. That's a good one. That's one of my favorites in high school. Uh, but one of the things, one of the things was papitas, right? Papitas. And so a friend of mine asked me yesterday, I was on a phone call. He says, well, you know, how difficult is it really to do this? He says, papitas, bro. Like it's, it's not difficult as long as you have the right people in place to get it done. So what does that look like then? What is, so, what so is the right so, people? So the thing is, man, is Chingal, you're going to get me going off on a tangent about fiber optic cables, but here's the thing, man, there's, there is a connectivity issue in the sense that people don't have it. But it's not because there's not access there. Again, I believe I believe it's an affordability issue, right? And so if people can't afford it, then you need to figure out a way to get it to them in a way that they can afford. Running fiber optic cables to somebody's house so that they have to you know, either rent or use or purchase a device to, to convert fiber optic to wireless is one cost. Having a device that can take advantage of that, a computer, a laptop, or something that a student can learn on, that's another cost. The education associated with understanding how to use that device to take advantage of the connectivity, that's another cost. And it's not just money. That's time. That's effort. That's skills. There's a lot there. And then once you have all of that, using it to get a better education or to get a better job or to increase you know, workforce development in, in some of these communities, that's a whole different that's a whole different thing. And so our problem in the Rio Grande Valley isn't just connectivity. You know, this is the channel five asked me is another fiber provider coming into the Rio Grande Valley going to solve our connectivity problem? Absolutely not. It's, it's great. It's great that they're here. It's great that they're making a $200 million investment in the Rio Grande Valley. I applaud anyone who does that, but the problem isn't just holding up a, a fiber going, here you go. Right. There's, there's the internet. Well, what now, man? You know, and unless you have all of those things covered, you can't truly say that we've solved, we've solved the issue. So my thought process on this is that if it has to be economical, it has to be reliable. It has to be able to cover an entire city in, in those, you know, confines and it has to be usable. Then why not go with something that, that fits into that category? 
And again, I'm biased. I'm find me at wirelessnerd.net. You know, like I'm a wireless guy. And I look at the way that everybody's connecting today on their cell phone, either via 5G or 4G or Wi-Fi. And I say, well, if everybody already has those devices and everybody already knows how to do that, and it's cheaper for me to cover a five square mile area with wireless than it is with fiber, why isn't anybody looking at that as an option? Mm-hmm. And, and I've gotten pushback from the entire industry. This isn't just a Valley conversation. This is everywhere. Well, it's not as reliable. Okay. You're telling me your cell phone's not reliable. Like sometimes it has coverage gaps depending on where you're driving or whatever. But imagine it had a good signal and you stuck it on, on a, on a sticky outside of your house and it never moved. Would it be reliable then? Oh, well, yeah. Well, okay, that's what we're talking about, you know, in scenarios like that. So the reliability factor is gone. The speed factor is gone. I can do 100 megabit, 200 megabit per second on these devices, right? Um, today for, for the common household, even even with the, the most advanced virtual reality applications, 25 megabit up, 25 megabit down, 25 millisecond round trip latency. That's the rule of thumb that, that we used at Meta to define a capable connection for VR. Mm. So that's great. We can talk about 100 megabit, 300 megabit, gigabit. Oh, gigabit. Yeah, that's great. That's great. But right now, to get people online who have nothing, if I can provide a service to a city at a fraction of the cost that gets everybody a broadband quality service in their homes, and I can do it in 60 days or less, that solves your problem. The problem that's easily solvable. And okay, so you don't have the network administrators and you don't have the people who know how to run it and the people who use it. Dude, my company is one of many companies in the world that can do that for you. And it's, it's, I'm tired of people making excuses for not solving the problem that affects our communities down here in the RGB. I think at that point, it's, it becomes an educational type of thing because people just don't know. Is it? You know, I think but, it, I think it is because I mean I think a lot of people are 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 not aware of the things that are out there. They're it could so be. focused on what they're trying to achieve with their be. job, but it they just be. don't know. It's and 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 that's pompous of me, right? Because I live and breathe it every day. I just yeah. assume everybody knows about it. Same you here. Know? Yeah, same here. It's like, <laughs> like no, it's, it's I just not, assume it's not people know what four G is or five G. You well, know, let's, let's talk about the 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 skills that will come from connectivity because oh, I, yeah. I think that's huge. That's the most important part. Is like okay, we have the connectivity. You get everybody connected. You're getting them learning. Mm-hmm. What are these jobs that they can have in the future? Because uh, am I wrong for thinking that that we're the Rio Grande Valley is already making plays to bring in bigger companies, and these bigger companies are going to need the workforce. This They're going to find skilled people. You got to. I mean, you're you're one person who has been instrumental in this has been Alex Mead. Do you know Alex? Oh, yeah. Alex is. is some of the things that he brought when he was over at um, at the Mission EDC, and even before that, um, some of the questions that he brought to the table that he helped find the answers for were tremendous, right? And to see him to see him doing what he's doing now, and knowing that he's got a heart in the valley, uh, is is incredible. And and Julian, uh, who is the the Texas Workforce Commissioner. Same thing, the guys from the Valley, and he knows what the Valley needs in order to be impactful. And so one of the things that they focused on that that resonates is building the bench, right? It's like like a sports team, right? Building the bench. When you when you bring in companies, you know, Zoho announced their stuff. We've got Zoho down in South McAllen, and they're talking about doing some other stuff in McAllen, a 90-acre campus, you know, all these great, great deals where people are talking about making technology investments in the Rio Grande Valley. You have to have people on your bench, 
that can fill those positions. And that's what we focused on at Code RGV. We focused on building the bench. Like that literally was our, that's what we wanted to do. And so that's where we went to Texas Workforce Commission and we went to the governor and we said, hey, give us some funds. Let us help build better nerds and bring these nerds in so that when those companies do come in, we've got, we have opportunity for them. What's that time frame that you think that will, that will happen? We invested you know, a good four years into doing workforce development that is now showing signs of, of success. And maybe in the last, you know, the last two years, it's shown signs of, signs of success. And on a 10 year plan, I would say we spent the first four years just really sowing the seeds. Right. Yeah. Um, and then years five and six is when they started to show a little bit seven and eight really is when they started to play. And now that we're in nine and 10, it's, we're starting to see the benefits of it. I ran into a guy this morning at Target uh, and he was buying a coffee and he was, you know, Javier, he was one of my instructors at Code RGV. He's one of the network administrators at Texas Regional Bank, you know, and it's uh, it's it's great to see. I mean, uh, a friend of mine named Mike Hilton, you know, Mike came in as a student and now he's working at Apple, you know, a uh, bunch of kids down here who are working for Cisco, who work for all these different companies who got their start in the code RGV program, cybersecurity analysis. I mean, or analysts, it's so great to see my LinkedIn blow up with these, with these people who were students of ours who are now landing their second and third jobs in the cybersecurity industry, making 150, $170,000 a year. Let's, let's pause right there because I think you're touching on something very interesting. And, and I have this conversation with a lot of people because I, I, I come from a place where like, I like to learn stuff. I like to get skills and I like to implement the skills, but people are always asking, well, how do you make more money or how do you make money period? Yeah. Well, I think it's skills, skills, period, man, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, a lot of, you know, <laughs> it's a freaking Napoleon dynamites in my head. I got baseball skills, got football <laughs> skills, I got it security service skill. No, it's, um, one of those skills to be totally honest is this yeah. being able to talk to people, man, you can't the, the soft skills component of all of this cannot be overlooked. You can teach, I can teach anybody how to code. I can teach how to code right now. You know, I, I can teach you how, how to do Wi-Fi. I can teach you so many different things, but if you can't take that and turn that into a conversation about getting a job or about advancing yourself, it's, it's going to be all that education is going to go to waste. Nowadays, when you're applying for a job, your resume is not enough. I don't even know who uses resumes anymore. You know, I got uh, someone sent me a resume yesterday. He said, hey, can you take a look at my resume and make sure it's up to speed? I was like, I don't want your resume. Go put it on your LinkedIn like a normal human being. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's the days of resumes, in my opinion, are just gone. I mean, some places are going to ask you to submit one, but you can also print out your LinkedIn profile as a PDF and yeah. you can submit that. Um, you know, having the skills to get the job done is that's only half the battle, man. You have to be able to present yourself in a way that shows that you're the right person for that job. And COVID, COVID, man, it, God, it really affected people's ability to communicate with human beings and, and being able to sit in front of someone and have a conversation. Uh, my daughter, my daughter's 11 years old, man. She went through, you know, uh, your kids too, right? Yeah. We went through COVID where our kids were at home and we're at a birthday party yesterday and my daughter was off on her own. We're like, man, just like go hang out with your friends or whatever. And, and she's like, they're, you know, they're busy talking. We're like, well, just just go be a part of the conversation. And it dawned on us that, that 
in some of those very formative years where you teach kids how to be around groups of people, there's so many kids that just don't understand how to interact with each other because the years that they were supposed to learn that they were all at home and doing drive-by birthday parties. Dude, for real. Oh my God. Yeah. I remember those. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually kind of like those. <laughs> That's not a bad idea, right? <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it's but, an interesting thing. But all, all of the education in the world can't take the place of being able to have a conversation with someone. And again, I'm biased on that because my job is very conversational based. It's, it's, it's about identifying where problems are, where gaps are and solving those issues for people. That's what I do for a living, you know? Um, but I look at that and in, in, in every com- in every topic I get into where someone asks me to you know do a mentorship or do a training or do talk to students, I talk to them about being able to have a conversation with people. That's it, man. Because because if we all go to the same school and we all learn the same thing and we're all as accredited as each other, what's gonna make you stand out? We have this conversation, you know, I've got five kids, right? I have this conversation, it feels like daily. Like what's gonna make you different when you're competing against other students for an internship or for a scholarship? What makes you any better than the person right beside you? If you can make the person laugh genuinely and have a good time and you can strike up a personal relationship and the other people can't, you win, Yeah, you know? And 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 being able to to articulate that um, who you are and, and why, why you're the correct person, I think is, is absolutely key to success, right? Um, skills are important. It's that, you know, it's great. It's great to know, uh, what you're doing, but you have to be able to prove it. Right. Um, the other thing is network, man. I mean, it, it comes back so many times. It's, it's, it's so much about who you choose to spend your time with and how you choose to spend your time with them. And it's the the echo of my dad's voice saying, well, you are who you hang out with. Yeah. I mean, kind of true. Yeah. true. And especially in, in the case of getting ahead in technology, for example, surround yourself with people that, that you want to be in their roles that you want to be like find the people that are in the jobs that you want and go be friends with them go figure out how to be friends with them you know there's there's all the sayings like all the cliche sayings you know first is is uh if you're the smartest person in the room change rooms you're in the wrong room if you're the smartest person in there you should never be the smartest person in the room um all that is, is, is that's just feeding ego, right? You're like, okay, well, good. I'm proud of you. You're the smartest person here, but what's that doing for you? Find a room where you feel challenged, find people to be around that, that are going to push you to do things that make you totally uncomfortable in, in your work and in your, in your desire to excel. And when you find those people, those are the ones that are going to help you because then you can ask them for help. You can't ask help from someone who's never been there. God, I remember a bunch of years back, um, there's this person who was branded as a life coach, mm-hmm. 22 years old. 20 years old. <laughs> wow. Like, for real? Yeah. <laughs> like, how many times have you been divorced? Oh, you haven't been married yet. Oh, life coach. Yeah. Okay. You find the people that have already done all the work and just ask them for help. It, and it it sounds so dumb, and it, I feel like such an old man saying that, but man, it's like it's absolutely the truth. What's interesting about that is- All you is gotta do is ask. Most ask. people won't ask them. They won't ask. They won't and, ask. And, 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 it's, you know, I mentioned a, uh, I mentioned Mr. Kandu a while back. I, uh, man, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, I see so much fun in that guy. Right. And, and I've had no problem 
talking and asking whatever. And, and you got to remember that it doesn't matter how much money somebody has. It doesn't matter how much celebrity somebody has. It doesn't matter how smart someone is or how many PhDs they have. We all wake up in the morning. We all put our pants on, you know, one leg at a time. You know, we all, we all put our, our, put our socks on one foot at a time. If you're wearing socks that day, it's, we're just people. And, and the biggest thing, and this is like the, the biggest, the biggest thing is that nothing fulfills a successful person's ego more than being able to help. (laughs) And like, that's, and it's crazy to think about that, right? Because the best thing someone can do is walk up and say, you're a genius. Can you teach me what you did? You want to watch someone light up? Ask them that question. Like, hey, you're really good at doing podcasts. Can you help me start a podcast studio? You'd be like, dude, yeah, it's, I could do it in my sleep. It, it, it's, uh, it's dumbfounding how many people are scared to go approach someone that they look at as a potential mentor or as someone successful in what they're trying to do I because, think, because of intimidation. Yeah. Well, status too, because status is, is what people try to achieve. Right. So if you have such a high status, for example, Alonso Cantu, yeah. he seems unapproachable. <laughs> so for, that's the funny, like it's, it's funny to me because, uh, it's just, I, you you, you got to change your mindset. Right. Those are the people that are the most approachable. I mean, granted, celebrities and presidents, whatever, probably have bodyguards. You know, so like they're <laughs> probably not the people you want to approach. But people in your community who are outstanding in what they do are some of the most approachable people you'll ever meet. You know, we uh uh, you, my wife. I don't, you, I don't know if you know what Jess does, but my wife's a fundraiser for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and she runs around mentoring students on how to ask for large sums of money from donors, which uh, is a skill within itself. Yeah, see, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. When you take someone from the south side of Macau, you're like, you gotta go ask that guy for twenty five thousand dollars. There's a lot of coaching that goes into it, but part of that is, you know, I learn from her every day, and I learn from what she does with her students every day that. The, the, when you when you tell someone like that, I was you know I was timid to come talk to you because I feel like you're unapproachable. They're gonna laugh and say, "Well, why 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 do you think I would be unapproachable?" Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't they didn't get there by themselves. Right. <laughs> you know, they got there with a team of people. No one achieves high levels of success independently. Independently, yeah. not even Elon Musk. Right? It's like as much as he wants to be the the tip of the the spear, dude. There's teams of people that I know who work at both SpaceX and at Tesla who are geniuses that there's no way he would be where he is without them. I mean, in all fairness, no one gets to that level without having a great team of supporters, but don't ever be scared to approach him. He's, he's someone that also, um, that people are terrified to approach and, and I'm, I wouldn't approach him for different reasons. I wouldn't approach him because I don't know what the hell I talk to the guy about. Like yeah. I'd be like, "Oh, I drive a Tesla." Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks, bro. Yeah, like, what am I going to talk to him about? I mean, he's he's thinking about things that I'm not even thinking yeah. about. You know, unless we were both at some event or some mixer where we both had something in common. Great, but other than that, like, I'm not going to go talk to someone. Like, what what do I have? To, why am I going to have a conversation? Like, I don't know crap about rocket uh, they go up there's thrust you know like I'm, i can't talk to you about the way that they work i can be like oh it's really cool that you're doing this in south texas thanks for being a part of our community even though you guys do very little in our community i really wish they would step up and do a lot more in our community but it's like that that's what i talked to that person about but i think that there's the approachability subject uh it's enormous, man. Just go, like, take a chance. What are they going to say, man? They're going to say yeah, no. say no. Yeah. yeah. Be like, hey, I'd really like to learn from you. No. 
Okay. Did you go like, <laughs> like play that out in your head, dude? Like imagine you walk up to I don't know, uh, pick someone. Like who's someone who's? Well, who's, I I always say the no is just as important as yes because you got your answer. Yeah, like it's it, so fast. Like when I when I'm hounding people for business, yeah. like hey, dude, just tell me no. Yeah. Like and then and save then, our time. And then real quick, just be like, well, why not? Yeah. And then you get follow your answer. Up, follow up question. Yeah. Oh, because I don't believe in you. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know. Oh, because I don't know who you are. Oh, here's who I am. Yeah, I'll come back and ask you in six months after you've had some time to research. You know what I mean? Like, use it as an opportunity to do something. Well, and that's the great thing about about the world that we live in with social media specifically, because your social media has become your profile for what people are looking at every single yes. day. And and I think that the more the great thing about social media is like I sell everything on social media. <laughs> I, I I use it for what it's for. Like yes. I don't post my kids. I don't post my family. I literally sell online every <laughs> single. It's day. great. And it's yeah. and it works. It's great, man. I mean, and the stuff that you put out there, it's you're like, oh, that's interesting. You know, let me call and find out. I'm like, oh, here, I can help you. You yeah. know, it's it, the no, the no is is super important. So uh, to touch on the top three, uh, maybe expand on this. So the top three skills that somebody can have is the soft skills, the technical skills, and the competency to actually see it through. Yeah, man. So yeah, you go a little bit more maybe into that. Even in the competency, competency to see it through. I mean, it's like. Um, I really think that that if I'm coaching someone, if I'm coaching students, and I used to do this, I mean, RGV Lead is such a tremendous group, and and I look forward to being more involved with them in the future. Now that I've got some more some more time, um, you know, they have they have a program where they bring students in, and you basically sit down and you you can mentor these students on on how to be successful and how to how to how to be a successful individual. You know, whether it's starting a business or being involved in the workforce or whatever else. Lead is a is a tremendous program that we have down here. And when I talk to those students, it's, you know, I, I joke with them and I laugh with them and I have a good time. And, and I say, look, you do your schoolwork, do the part that covers your bases, right? Make sure that you, that you know your subject matter, whatever it is, technology, podcast, graphic design, marine biology, cotton candy making, whatever. Like it doesn't matter as long as you know it. You don't have to be an expert in it. You just have to know it. I mean, you can become an expert in it, but know what you're talking about and know how to defend your points. And then have the soft skills to be able to have that conversation. Because once you get there, then then it's all negotiation. You know what I mean? Then it's like, don't don't set your sights. Say, I'm going to make $100,000 a year and then work backwards from there. I mean, that's one way to do it. But, but I would recommend if people want to grow their careers and if they want to advance, especially in technology... Know what you're doing, but be able to articulate it. I mean, you have to know what you're doing and, and you can prove you know what you're doing. You can go get certifications. You can go do testing. You can you can build credentials. You know, you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have a master's degree. You don't have to have gone to college in tech, right? You don't have to finish high school in tech. You just have to be able to have a skill set that can be applied to fixing a problem and you have to know how to sell yourself in that sense. And that... That soft skill, I think, is that's why I would say it's the most important because, dude, in tech forever, forever, ever, everyone always said fake it till you make it, mm -hmm. right? And it's I like think that's everywhere. Yeah, it's like, oh, do you know how to fix this? Yeah, I know how to fix that. How? Why? Well, I, I mean, you take the thing, you do the thing, and you know, why don't you hire me and I'll fix it for you? Oh, okay, you're hired. Get the book. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the best friendly like Google. You know, like yeah. figure it out. Um, having the soft skills outweighs your 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 uh, your actual you know uh credentials in some in some cases and I, again that's why i lean on it but 
I just, I also see that's where the deficiency is. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that don't have those soft skills. There's a lot of students that don't have those soft skills. It's not something that they teach you in high school, you know? Um, And, and God, I mean, it's like dig into that, right? Where we're at as a society right now is soft skills are something that are becoming less and less emphasized the more we segment and separate and and introvert as human beings whether let me dive into more more of that because i i feel and for the for the past few years like when i was transferring from dairy queen i I grew up in dairy queen from the age of three to 30 that's all i ever knew (laughs) and my dad owned it so i was being primed to own it something happened and it didn't happen so i was like you know what? i'm gonna go a different route yeah. and i felt like you know what there's a whole world out there that is connected to the internet these skills are going to be able to get me to where i want to be mm-hmm. in the future and i saw that happening when facebook was being used for just musicians like to being able to yeah. put out flyers like, hey come to my show and stuff That's like right. that but i feel like um there's no role models out there. There's very few role models that kids can actually look up to that are decent human beings. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, you there's like Takeshi 69, dude. <laughs> am, am I wrong though? Because no, I, I, it's well, but I think there are, but I think that I, it's like the buffet effect. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like, it's like when you have access to so much, not one thing stands out. And if you compare, if you compare a steakhouse to a golden corral, mm-hmm. right? Golden corral is going to give you everything you want all the time. And then the bells are going to ding, oh, bread, you know, and you're going to run over there, right? Yeah. It's like, it's a very, it's, it, 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 it gives you all of the options all at once versus a steakhouse who's just, who's just a great steakhouse. You know what I mean? And when you're figuring out well, where do we go for dinner, you're like, man, steaks for everybody the best steaks for everybody or no i want this and no i want chicken and no i want veggie and no i want this and i want pizza and i want bread it's easier to go to golden corral so you're just saying there's just too much out there just too much out there and and with social media there are some standouts you know of people that 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 i would consider you know interesting role models and, and people that i would look at but they might not have the hottest TikTok channel. You know what I mean? They might not have the ability to, to capture the attention so quickly, mm-hmm. so many amounts of time over and over and over again um, as some of the other people that are out there. Mr. Beast, for example. Beast is, I mean, fascinating to me. Like, fascinating and hilarious. And I watch his videos as much as my kids do, you know? It's funny and it's fun and it's there's no educational value to it whatsoever. Um but, but that spawns people going, well, I want to be like Mr. Beast when I grew up, or, you know, unspeakable and all these other guys. It's like, yeah. these are things that the kids want. They want to achieve the ability to just do whatever they want. And, and, you know, and, and well, you can just make money making videos, you know, good luck. Good luck with that. Um, it's not that easy. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, I made a whopping $5 and 34 cents with all the content that I put out. So like <laughs> $5 more than I've made, you know? Um, but I think that, that the role models that, that kids have these days are setting and God, it sounds like such a, sounds like such an old guy thing to say, right. Is they're setting a lot of false expectations for what, what people can achieve. And I, and I was going to say success, but success means so many different things to so many people that I don't think that it's that they're setting false expectations of success. 
I think that today's role models are setting a false expectation of of whatever I just said. Shit, lost my thought. No, no, I, I completely understand because it's, 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 it's an interesting thing to see because I follow so many people and, and I gravitate towards specific people, right? But then I see, like, I follow them long enough and you see their flaws. Like, yeah, that, well, that's, that's just how it is. It's, with it is. Everybody. It is, but, but in this generation... Right of of instant access and of you know the TikTok users and YouTube Shorts and Instagram Stories and all that it's 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 such small bits of content so quickly that that looks like a catalog of success mm-hmm. right how many how many videos does Beast have <laughs> tons right yeah. so it looks like a catalog of success right and and he's got the you know finances to put it up but but the reality of being able to do that is is uh is so well hidden by people like like him and and all the other youtubers that are out there i don't think people realize the amount of work that it takes mm-hmm. to to do that right not not to mention the funding that yeah. it takes to do some of the most ridiculous stuff that they do i'm going to give away a million dollars <laughs> what did it take to get that million dollars yeah. you know how much did they have to how much did they have to bring in how much time and effort did they have to put into video production and to scripting and to this and to that in order to raise the money that they could get? Cause he, yeah, he's not giving a million dollars away out of his pocket. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. So what sponsor messages are for, but, but I don't, it's so interesting to see that, that so many people think that success can come so easily in this day and age by um, I'm just going to turn on a camera and everybody wants to hear what I have to say. Bullshit. Well, the thing is, no one wants to hear what you have to say. First of is, all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, you're absolutely this is right. My, this is why I never started a podcast. I'm like, no one wants to hear what the hell I have to say. No, you're you absolutely know? right. It's because I, I feel like the, the people that become successful have done the tedious things over and over and over again. And then they stop because they get comfortable, but it's those tedious things that they have to keep That's, doing to keep getting success. This is, and, 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 and this is such a great example of that. I mean, you've got you've got two cameras, specific lenses. You've got the tables. You've got the mic stands. Over time, you've learned that you need that light, and you need that light, and you need this. You know, all you you need all this. No hummingbirds. <laughs> I don't know where you went. Right there. There's still popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> There's still popcorn in the window. But you've learned all the little things that it takes to do this. And if I even asked you what your investment was to get to this level that you're at right now, you don't know. I mean, you can give me a, a number, but you were off by a little bit. You know what I mean? And, and more importantly, in that investment, how much of your time was spent to do this? Like, dude, and then what's the value of that? Like, mm-hmm. what, if you build that at $100 an hour, then then what did it cost for you to do this? Yeah. To get to where you are? And this, no offense, this is a this is a a, a local podcast, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas that's got great, great reach, but even at the level that you're at, it took so much to get here. Yeah. Now imagine doing something 10 times this production value. Now we're going to go blow up a tank, you know, and give someone a million dollars. Like, yeah. whoa, you know, like, what does it take to get there? And I think that goes back to all of the circles back to, to, <laughs> it all circles back to Lady Gaga, right? Uh, authenticity and, and being able to, to know who you are, know what your voice is, know how to know how to articulate that voice, whether it's through cybersecurity and networking or fixing computers or selling clothes or what it is. You have to know who you are. You have to have the skills and then you have to be able to back that up with with 
with the ability to talk about it. And in this day and age, the, the, the people in the Rio Grande Valley are severely limited in their ability to carry out that message because of the lack of connectivity creating that digital divide. So it's, it's crazy because every, I mean, we just, we like, you know, we spurred off and start talking about all these other things, but you got to remember that, that those are only for the people that can have, that have access to it for whatever reason. And, and I'm not saying that there's a right reason or a wrong reason, but the affordability component of it is so strong that, that having the ability to have internet service, usable internet service at your home and have a device that can connect to that and have the understanding of how that device works to leverage that connectivity. Those are the things that, that are going to separate communities like New York city and Chicago and LA and San Francisco and all these, all these Metro hubs from the, the rurality. <laughs> I don't yeah. even know if that's a word, the rurality of South Texas, because if we don't, just like growing up in a colonia, if I don't have the ability to even know that that, that playing field exists, right. how am I supposed to have a level playing field? And down here in South Texas, we have so many people that are just not a part of the conversation that they can't take advantage of anything we just talked about. They can't, they can't be content producers. They can't make a viral TikTok video. They can't make $5 and 34 cents off of a, off of something because they just don't have the means to do it. And if you, if you look at that in the grander scheme of things, how is that going to affect their lives over the course of the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, how's that going to affect them going from being a child into, into, you know, adolescence, excuse me, adolescence and then into adulthood where they can't have those conversations so that when they walk into a room and everyone's talking about TikTok and they're like, I didn't, I didn't have that growing up. Right. Fascinatingly enough. Will that be better for them? Ooh, there's something to think about in Mercedes. Growing up at Mercedes, there was this family, the Schwartz family, who, um, who everybody, you know, old school, old school Mercedes family. And one of the things I remember about them growing up is, I want to say it was two, but it may have been three children in that household were all valedictorians of their classes. And the one thing that made them stand apart from every other student in all of Mercedes ISD was that they had no televisions in their house, hmm. no TVs, all through them valedictorians. I wonder, I wonder what that would, what that would be like today. What's well, interesting. It's like, so like yeah. stop and so like put this on its head. We have a problem with the most disconnected people in the United States. Who's to say that's a bad thing, right? Uh, if we, if we, in my, in my opinion for, uh, for what it's worth, it is like, like well, no, you know, but at the same time, it's like, imagine culturally yeah. well, it's like heard, going back into a time warp, you know what I mean? Well, I've heard that, that America has, especially with social media has gone towards the working class to the envious class. So everybody is looking at people that are online and they only post the good stuff. Yeah. So you're only getting the top stuff. So other people that are starting to come in are envious of that and they want to achieve that. But when they hit that point, they look back as like, am I really that happy? Yeah. Yeah. I it's mean, it's an interesting concept. It's and be real. I mean, be real. The, the app that launched, you know, it's still, I guess it's still doing pretty good or whatever. That was a fascinating concept of the whole, 
don't pose for the photos. Don't just post the happy stuff. Post the post yeah. what's really happening in your life as it's happening, because the the bad is is as important, if not more, uh, uh, foundational for for you as a human being than the good is. You know what I mean? So it's it's interesting. It's interesting how this whole thing is going to play out. And by this whole thing, I mean this whole social media thing. And I feel like we're the ones that got screwed out of it. Our generation is the ones that got the downside of it because we're the guinea pigs, right? Mm-hmm. The next generation that follows are those digital natives that have that have grown up with this and they know how to use it. They know how to adapt. They know how to do everything else. Um, but the next generation is the one, my kids' generation is the one that I'm interested in because that's the one where it's like, okay, now you have the tools and now you have the understanding and now you have the expertise. What are you going to do with it? And what's crazy about that is that chat GPT and artificial intelligence and all of those are starting to show us a glimpse of what that future is going to look like. And I, you know, I talked about code RGB a while back. One of the first courses that we did was a Python programming course. We brought these kids in to teach them Python and it was great. And Python is a foundational language that, that you can use to do all kinds of different stuff right now. I can get on chat GPT and have it write the code. And I can say, crazy, write, me a, write me a Python script that does this. And it does it. Don't forget, if you ever do that, make sure you say to include the libraries because sometimes it won't include the, the, the libraries that needs to do it. But I can get a line right now and say, hey, write me a program in Python that does this and it will, it will, it will spit the code out for you. Yeah. And so that, you know, look at that in context. Well, then why am I teaching Python? You know? Oh, because you have to understand why. Like, yeah. you know, take take the old guy hat off for a second and put on the, the realistic hat. Why? You have to understand the way the code's written. Why? Mm-hmm. If, if this is as dumb as AI is ever going to be, and it can already do that for me, I'm never going to have to go backwards and write that code again. I'm never going to have to go back and learn how to write Python code again. Period. Yeah, it's 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 a very interesting thing. Like, w- yeah, <laughs> what? Yeah. You're like, I want that snippet, by the way, because I want to post that <laughs> and be like, you know, conversational topic. Because, because in my mind, it, it's just like this guy who was talking about the thing with with the Kanye voice. It's like this is as bad as AI is ever going to get, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's already doing this. Well, then why? Like, why do I have to do all the things I did before here? Yeah. What if one day all the digital devices go out? Well, then we're absolutely screwed. screwed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, you know, I can't do shit with my hands. So it's like, dude, but but I can sell, and that's where those soft skills come back. Yeah, <laughs> right. I can figure out a way to barter for someone to build me something. You know, but it's it's so uh, AI is so fascinating. I mean, God, the. There's so much to talk on that. Topic. Well, even like Bubble IO right now, it's like you can build an app and just with the drags. It's, it's just the most craziest thing. Is like they're, the artificial intelligence is making it so easy for so everybody. Easy. So easy. And so so the, then that, you know, to look at the optimistic side of that, what is that going to do for new tools, new software, new programs, new AI, new, you know, how is that going to affect everything that we do, it, it's only going to get cooler. It's only going to get better. It's only going to get is if you make it easier, it lowers the barrier of entry for someone to go who uh, to go build an app that has an incredible idea, but no ability to code. Well, now 
drag and drop. Yeah. Now, just tell chat, hey, make me in chat GPT. Build me an app that does this and this and this. Here comes the code, you know. Um, video, I mean, the, the artistic side of it is fascinating to me because not just the voice stuff, you know, with, with like the Kanye deal that happened, but artistically, photography, I mean, dude, you shoot tons of photos, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, you were talking about the advertising stuff with Miami Fitwear and with Raquel. Man, the Pope in the puffy jacket. I mean, yeah. it's it's fascinating that people are looking at that, saying that 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 this is a turning point for AI. Uh, because that's because I'm using it at a very minuscule point. Like like for me, I make so much content for my thumbnails. I just have to take like six pictures. I can change my outfit every single time and never have to take a picture again. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I mean, it's an unfair advantage, but I think people need to really understand. Like this is out here. The, the stuff. So, and I need to add you by the way to this group. We have a group called Digital Parenting Stuff. Are you on that one already? No, I don't think. I so. need to add you that one because it's all these parents who we we're just constantly discussing this because we're like oh shit the future <laughs> you know like what are we gonna do and uh and the one man the one that's the one that freaks me out is take it take all the take everything you know about ai right and the one that freaks me out that god i don't even know where society goes from here and and you know maybe this some of this conversation might be a little risque but fuck it let's go down that <laughs> hole like <laughs> and cut no so check this out so so if you have a chat engine, ChatGPT, for example, that's trained specifically by, uh, let's say, psychologists and psychiatrists, that's trained on human emotion, human effort, human humanity, period, and that, like, let's say that, that that's the heart of the engine, okay? You put that over here, and that's, that's liquid death. Liquid death, great sparkling water. <laughs> Don't take my word for it. Try it for yourself. Yeah, sponsor us. <laughs> Don't forget the sponsor message. And me sneaking in my Wi-Fi survey kit <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. Um, okay. You get an AI model that's trained by clinical psychologists, psychiatrists, all these people that get together and go, we're totally going to screw with the world. They make this model, right? Everything about human emotion. And then you take that and you load in a, you know, and they've done this already. So, so this is the, the scary part. You take a poll of who the most let let let's let's go with uh, let's go with women instead of men, and then we'll go with men. But you can you get the idea. All the most beautiful women in the world. Drop that into a into a into a neural net. Have it load it all up, and then have it generate the most beautiful woman in the world with a brain that's powered by the most intelligent psychologists in the world. And then couple that with AI video and AI imagery. And then sell that service for $9 a month to give you the perfect companion. Because mm -hmm. let's, be, let's be real. How often do you see your wife? Like not that much, only in the evenings, right? Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the time it's on text message. Now you have this model where people can have their girlfriend have their Sancha <laughs> is the perfect person for them. That's going to listen. That's going to be attentive. That's going to respond. That's going to send pics. That's going to be able to send videos. That's going to take everything that makes this the perfect companion for you, except it's digital. Mm -hmm. 
so that's happening right yeah. in Japan and it crashed. Did you read that story? No, I did not. <laughs> so the server that ran one of these deals, uh, the, the service that ran one of these deals in Japan, I believe it was Japan. It crashed a couple weeks ago and there was like widespread, uh, uh, depression wow. because so many people lost their boyfriends and girlfriends huh. because they were all in the, they were all in the net. Interesting. It's, but we're at a part in society where because COVID generation had all that on their screens, ugh, that human interaction, sitting in it, like you're like, hey, come into the studio. Let's report, record a podcast. This is great. We could see each other. The hummingbird is here with us. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's real, by the way. This is real. It still hasn't left, man. <laughs> it's just, Popcorn's not it's, working. <laughs> you need a flower in that window. But... But there's this authentic, authenticity component of doing this, right? And But if you take that away, because it's easier not to drive 10 minutes to come over here. It's easier for me to just do this on my computer. It's easier for me to not actually have a real girlfriend or wife or boyfriend or husband or significant other. It's easier for me just to subscribe to a service. That gives me all of the outlet that I need. I can talk. They can talk. Dude. Mix in a voice engine with that. Yeah. You know, you want to get Freudian? Get clips of your mom and load it with your mom's voice. Now, you know, like, you want to get weird? Like, let's get weird. You know, it's a very interesting thing because I, I don't think people really understand that this is coming. The, no, it's here. Like, it's here. that's like, that's the most, that's the most screwed up part is like, this is happening right now. Right. And it's the, it's the whole incel movement, you know, where, where, where the incels are finding out ways to cope. And, and the incel thing is, like it's tough. Like that's tough. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what that's like. You know, to to you know, and if, if anyone's listening, they don't know what incel is. It's in, involuntarily celibate, right? It's these are groups of people that would love to have a significant other, but just for some reason they don't. It's and it's for every reason they they. They don't feel comfortable talking to people. They don't have the self-esteem to go talk to people. They don't have the ability to go talk to people. They don't want to leave their house. They've got anxiety. They've got depression. Like whatever it is, it's a group of it's a group of individuals who who are just in this in this position, right? And I can't imagine what's that. That's like I'm such a freaking extrovert. They're like I I can't like you can't keep me in a room. You know what I mean? So I don't know what that's like. But I sympathize for 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 anyone who who has who's in that position. Um, and an outlet like that being built by a group like that to solve a problem for them, from them, by them, is fascinating to me because it's not just solving their problem. It's how does that how does that scale, right? right? And and uh, dude, like if you think about uh, people having affairs, right, with their with their significant others. A lot of those affairs these days are emotional affairs. They're not physical affairs. There's, I mean, dude, no one's got time to, yeah. <laughs> to like sneak off with someone. But you turn, you know, you turn. I'm not saying this is my marriage. It's not my marriage. It's FYI, <laughs> like I don't want people to get the wrong idea. You know, but you look at you look at someone who sneaks off and they're on their phone giggling the whole time. And the second their husband or wife comes over and they put their phone down, they're like, "What? Yeah. Like you know what's going on? You know, we all have friends like that." <laughs> yeah. And so. If you think about that in context, imagine Ashley Madison Digital 
where you don't even, it's not even a real human. It's not even human. It's not even human. It's not even like, it's not even a thing. It's, it's someone you fill out your list of preferences, right? And, and I'm not saying this is real, but imagine this isn't a far fetched idea. We should do this. <laughs> well, Drew, now you're hanging well, out with your digital girlfriend too much. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And then, and then at that point though, like go down that rabbit hole. Well, is that cheating? Yeah. It's, all I'm doing is texting a computer. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah. like how many stupid it's, issues is that going to raise? It's your time now. It's, it's your it's, time. It's, it becomes something. It's a very interesting future. It's a very <laughs> bleak future. It I, is, I but but that and so the way that that the way that that goes, the the nasty ass turn that that takes into being a parent is is with kids. When, when you take these AI models and you train these AI models to look or act like somebody else, and then you use that against them. You take, you take photos and videos of another kid at school, and then you train that model to look and act just like that kid, and then you use that as a way to bully other students with someone else's identity. Like, let's say that my kid yeah. takes pictures and videos of one of your kids and then uses that to create an account and bully another child. And the whole time they think it's your kid, but it's really my kid just to start. Well, that's the whole thing. Do like, like what? You know what I mean? But it's. You were the first, actually one of the first people that actually saw talk about this stuff because it was, it was interesting because I, I follow all this stuff. Like I see what happens on TikTok. Like yeah. I know the safety of our kids is at risk. Dude, it's, and you're the, you were the only person to ever talk about it. I was like, why are people so talking about It's so bad. This? And, and the thing about it is my dad always told me when I was a kid, he says, uh, he says, there's nothing that you can think about that someone else hasn't already thought about. And at first I was like, screw you, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, but then it's like, well, let me use the, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like, well, if I've thought about this just in passing, mm-hmm. then the chances are that someone else has thought about this and acted on it. And, and I may not be giving myself enough credit. Maybe I'm a genius, bro. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. But what I'm saying is that is that if if I've thought about this in some way, shape, or form, maybe someone else has thought about this, like really thought about this. And when you talk about digital safety and digital parenting and all those things, you know, I was using, I was using uh, guacamole flavored ice cream to explain the TikTok ban to my daughter the other day. And so explain that (laughs) (laughs) because I don't, I don't think people still get that. Like why is, why is TikTok? Okay. You're going to have to cut this one as a separate segment because this one's (laughs) fucking good. And I told you I had plenty of time, man. Like like you, you're, you don't want me in here with a microphone. Like we'll just go and go and go and go. Especially if you're going to cut it and produce like, then we're good. I'll come in here every Monday um, with a voice changer. So, Okay. Down the bucket, down the rabbit hole we go. So I was explaining the TikTok ban to my daughter, who's 11 years old, using uh, guacamole flavored ice cream, avocado flavored ice cream the other day. And so, so, yeah, so here's what I said. I said, would you imagine eating avocado flavored ice cream? I would, because okay. I've eaten it before. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know it was a thing. Okay, then we got to pick something totally not not good, because it sounds pretty good now but, that I think about that, it. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Okay, but I mean, okay, maybe, maybe. But let's say that you don't like avocados. Would you eat avocado-flavored ice cream? So the answer is no. I wouldn't eat that. It's terrible, right? And let's say that that in order to get people to eat avocado-flavored ice cream, you can't just advertise it to them because they're going to say no because they don't like it. So you can't 
You can't put on store shelves. No one's going to buy it. You can't put up a billboard because no one's going to buy it. You can't run a TV commercial. No one's going to buy it. Experiential and influential marketing come into play here, right? And I mean, you know this pretty, you know this, you know this area. If I can turn around and say, you know what? If I want everybody, if I think that a good demographic for avocado, avocado flavored ice cream is a real Grand Valley of Texas and no one would normally buy it, then what I can do is if I can get people in that area to try it and to post about it and to show off how good avocado flavored ice cream is, then maybe that'll start to resonate with some of the people in the Rio Grande Valley, right? That's influential marketing 101. You find people that have a lot of subscribers, a lot of followers, and you say, you know, you go up to Bronco 956 and you're like, try this and do it on camera. Here's $1,000 or whatever it is. And so you get them to do it. And then, then you know, what's the line from uh, from Django and Change? You had my attention, but, you know, or you had <laughs> whatever yeah. he says. You know, it's a, once you once you get those people to try it, then you've got that influential marketing covered. The next thing that you need to do is instead of doing that, instead of specifically finding someone to go out and to eat it, what you want to do is you want to make sure that people see it everywhere, right? And that's, you want to blanket, you want to have that blanket shotgun marketing approach. So how do you do that, right? Let's go back to AI. So you go back to AI and you render videos and imagery and all this other stuff. You as just an independent avocado ice cream manufacturer you put together a digital team or you get on fiverr like everybody else does and you get people to render pictures of people eating avocado ice cream and then you you sponsor some of those advertisements or you hire a bunch of people to come in and just post and post and post and post and post under fake accounts you do it regionally you do it you know wherever it is well before you know it your news feed there's avocado ice cream sitting behind somebody right? That's been rendered into a photo. And you don't know who this person is. I've never met Bronco 956. I don't know if he's a grilled dude or not, but if you magically see a picture of Bronco 956 and avocado ice cream in the background, or you see Josh Morales and avocado ice cream on the table, all of a sudden you see people that have it and you go, oh man, that's interesting, right? So now you start to see that other people like avocado ice cream. It wasn't a billboard, or seeing it on the store shelf or seeing a, an influencer like Mr. Beast talk about avocado ice cream, it was now you're starting to see it appear. And all of a sudden, it's burning it into your head that it's a thing. Mm -hmm. Even talking about it is a thing. And then you search for it. And then it shows up in your browser history. It shows up in your cookies. And now it's being advertised to you. So all of a sudden, it starts to really get into your life, right? And before... You never in a million years would have tried avocado ice cream. And just the thought of it's like, that's disgusting. I don't want anything to do with avocado ice cream. But you show up to a party and one of your friends has avocado ice cream. And you don't know how it got there. You don't know if it was sent to them as a sample. You don't know if they actually purchased it. You don't know anything else. But you know what you do know? You're going to try it. Yeah. You're going to try it. You've heard about it. You saw it. Your friends are talking about it. It's all the rate, you know, everyone's you know, going back and forth on TikTok and they're like, you know what? I'm going to try, I'm going to try that avocado ice cream. And you try that avocado ice cream. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. The point is, is that you did something completely out of character, something that you never would have done. And you did it not because anyone even necessarily told you to, you did it because it had become normalized through your interface to the world, which is, visually, 
whether it's a billboard or whether it's on your phone or whether it's on a podcast talking about avocado ice cream, all of a sudden it's everywhere, right? So with that understanding, right? Imagine if there is an elected official who shares some viewpoints with you, but doesn't share all those viewpoints with you. And there's some things that make you very, very different from that person. But there's enough there that you're like, maybe. Now imagine if you start to see content popping up specifically to the reason, specifically advertisements or posters or imagery or something that shows that that this is, this is your person. This is your candidate. Because of this, all of a sudden it starts to drown out the reasons why that candidate is a bad candidate. And it starts to drown out the reasons why things about that candidate are so bad that you would never in a million years vote for them. But all, all it's doing is highlighting the good, highlighting the good. And it's not even the good. Good is contextual. It's highlighting the things that make sense to you, the things that are good to you on a user-by-user user basis. The things that are good to you and the things that are good to me may not be the same, but it's going to highlight what you like to you and highlight what I like to me. That's how these, that's how these engines work, right? That's how these algorithms work. They find specific things. You build specific campaigns to go after specific keywords, specific feelings. And so you get what you want out of it. I get what I want out of it. And now all of a sudden that candidate who I thought was just a terrible human being, it's like, no, wait a minute. I, I get that. I understand that. That's speaking my language. That's bringing up something that matters to me, that I think is important to me. Or that's something that I wasn't worried about, but man, you know, the more I hear about it, the more it worries me, right? Apply this to any of the political themes that we have right now, on either side, in all fairness, on either side. This isn't, this isn't political left or right. This isn't political red or blue. This is just, this is just algorithmic. So all of a sudden on your TikTok feed and on your video feed and on your Instagram feed and your, your billboards and all this other content that someone else is buying and producing, you start to see why this candidate's a good candidate, right? So election day comes around and you say, you know what? Yeah, yeah, better than the other person. I'm gonna vote for that person. Okay, imagine that. Then later on, whatever, maybe buyer's remorse, maybe that person goes back and shows exactly who they were. And you go, oh my God, I forgot that that person's actually a terrible person, but I voted for that person, you know? Uh, and, I'm not, and I'm not talking about a specific candidate right here, which is fascinating because I'm specifically not trying to talk about yeah. anybody, right? <laughs> but then the more I say it, the more it applies to both, you know? And so imagine, imagine that, that's, that that's a scenario that we're in, Okay. So let's tie these two things together, right? Let's say that China, <laughs> let's pick on China for a minute. Let's say that China is the largest producer of avocado ice cream in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is going to be a little long-winded, but let's say that China's largest producer of avocado ice cream in the world. And China decides that they want Americans to eat avocado ice cream, Right. And there's avocado ice cream made in the United States, but it's like, it's, it's hand churned and it's, you know, it's old fashioned style and it has all these expensive ingredients in it. And so it costs more. So, so the Chinese government decides that they want to sell avocado ice cream in the U S and they want to displace the existing avocado group uh, here. 
So they, so they do a couple things. One is they find candidates in the United States that, that are against avocados because people are allergic to them because of this, because of that. And they say, you know what? That candidate could use our money. So China says, you know what? We're going to give these guys some money. We're going to promote them as a candidate. Or instead of doing that, they say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to back that candidate without that candidate even knowing it because it's important for the Chinese avocado industry (laughs) that that candidate doesn't win. So what they do is they rally their teams to build that content, to design that content, to build those videos, to place those pictures, to buy those billboards, to do everything for that candidate. Maybe not even specifically for that candidate, but for a cause that that candidate supports. Right. And they flood media with it, right? And now all of a sudden, voting day, that candidate loses. Who wins? Well, they have the influence. So, so who wins? The Chinese government wins. Yeah. So the little, the little, you know, I even, it sounds like a little uh, conspiracy theory-ish, but Chinese government wins because now the people who are against avocados in the United States are in office, which means no more avocados in the United States, which means that opens the door for Chinese avocado exports for their avocado ice cream to come into the United States. Okay. Now imagine that there's a candidate in the United States that loves avocado ice cream. This controlling interest in everything that we see and do and hear has the ability to promote that either candidate or things that that candidate supports in order to put that candidate in office because who wins? The Chinese government wins. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the bulk of it, right? Is that, is that you have a company that a, that a significant amount of interest in that company is controlled by the Chinese government, right? And the root cause, right, is, is communism bad, democracy good, right? <laughs> like, like if you want to break it all down, you have, you have this, this communist country that is trying to affect changes in the United States. And then you have this thing that everybody uses, that everybody has, that everybody feeds data into. And it's, making all of that data about all of us available to someone who wants to. Well, they, they can weaponize the information in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that it, it's even deeper than that because even in the hearings, they had something called project Texas where they released some of the information about it. Project Texas is, is taking data servers that store all the information for TikTok and locating them in the state of Texas. And I think there's one in Virginia also and bringing up these data centers. And they were very specific about the way that they worded it. None of the data that's that originates inside the United States will leave the United States. None of the, none of the content. I don't care about the content, but I care about some metadata. Yeah. I care about, who's clicking on what and how often and what the frequency I care about the metadata more than I care about the regular data. And when asked and pressed in it, they didn't have an answer for that. And they said, we'll never sell anything to a content broker. And they're like, okay, well, will you sell it to a company or an individual? And they said, we'll never sell anything to a content broker. And they're like, yeah, but what about an individual or a company? And they're like, we'll never sell anything to a content broker. And they're like, well, I'm not asking you about content brokers. It's there's, there's so many things there that I think um, raise a lot of questions. But then you have to look at the flip side of it, which is what they were trying to do in the, in the congressional hearing was, oh, you think we're bad? 
to look at Facebook, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like you just had all of these terrible things happening and they were trying to deflect the whole time. But to me, anytime you get into that deflection, I mean, my wife was a state, uh, a debate champion, national debate champion in college. So like, I already know how to fight with those people, you know, like, (laughs) you know, you're right when they start deflecting, you know? And so, um, so the problem is, is that the, the influence that we are giving TikTok and ByteDance as a whole, the, the information that we're giving them can be used to sway opinion, which can sway consumership. It can sway elections. It can sway everything because all they have to do is target a market and attack that market and then use that to attack a different market and attack a different market. And, and it's so interesting the way that that works, right? And, and I don't know, you know, anyone who's listened this far, right? I don't know if, if you believe me or not, or if you think it's just a conspiracy. No, you're absolutely right. Because but it's like, dude, stop and think about it, man. It's well, you're a, right. Because it's influence. The, the advertisements that I use, I, I can pull people's data. From, for, for example, yeah. South Texas Comic Con, they have a huge email list. You can import that into Facebook and then make customer avatars based off of those people's characteristics and attributes. That's right. So you can take that... And Place it literally all around the United States. Like these things are powerful. I don't think people really understand. They no, I and I, I don't. I don't. You know, I don't think the majority of people understand how well this works. And I mean, that's like that's that's the thing about it is even working for the machine. You know, even working at Meta for a year, I didn't get access to any of this stuff. But you know, it's just it's fascinating how how many people and how much time and resources are dedicated to this, to making sure that the algorithm works the way that it's supposed to. And, and to be, to be totally honest, when I was at meta, I didn't see anything nefarious there. Like I didn't, I didn't walk by and be like, Oh, there's a secret office where they, you know, no, that does, it doesn't exist. And everybody that I worked with there was great. And no one had this, this idea that, that, that this was anything negative, you know what I mean? And what's fascinating about that is if you watch, you know, um, the social dilemma on Netflix, like if you haven't watched the social dilemma on Netflix already, you need to watch it because it tells you exactly how they do it and why they do it and how it works. Everything from the way that they keyword to dopamine, you know, to like everything in between. It's like, yeah, it's not like they're hiding anything. Like this is like, this is exactly how this machine works and this is how it was built to work. Did people ever think that, that someone was going to weaponize it? No, but did they? Yes. Like, you know, no, the gun debate for God's sakes, like the people who, who made a gun, you know, years and years ago to, you know, to get food or whatever, they never in a million years thought it would be used to shoot nine year olds in, you know, in Nashville. Like that didn't, those two things didn't connect, but by the same regard, this is something that can be absolutely weaponized against children. I mean, this is like the influence that kids, the kids have. We go back to Beast and like all that other stuff. Kids are so impressionable for such a for such a short amount of time, you know, in the in their lifespan that you make your beliefs by the time you're at, you know, I don't I don't statistically know what it is, but say 15, 16, 18, whatever it is you form your beliefs in this critical part of, of your youth. And that's the youth right now. That age group is the number one demographic for TikTok. And it's like, dude, it's not 45 year old dudes. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the exact demographic 
of the kids that are the most impressionable right now that are going to become citizens of the United States and put money back into the and United what States are we feeding them? Yeah. and what are we feeding them and exactly. and 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 even at that I mean if there's one thing I would encourage anyone it's make sure you lock down your internet at your house and make sure that your kids don't have access to the things that they shouldn't have access to make sure it's all age appropriate make sure it's you know make sure that you're not feeding them these carcinogenic websites you know and i get it everybody's doing it like my daughter's friends they're all on tiktok my daughter asked me the other day she goes dad can i have tiktok and i said i will have a discussion with your mom about it i didn't say no because i think that there's inherent value in being culturally aware and having that cultural literacy component of it you have to i don't i want her to be the weirdo sitting in the corner who doesn't have tiktok you know what i mean or no i didn't see that video i don't know what you guys are talking about i don't want her to have that disconnect um, but at the same time, I want to do it on my terms. Right. And unfortunately, even with that, the parental controls on TikTok, they're non-existent, man. I can't control that if on swipe number one, it's Mr. Beast doing something ridiculous. Swipe number two, it's, you know, the RGV home inspector. I didn't even realize that guy is like, 14,000 followers or something. Well, it's crazy too. Millions of views. Like what? I found that out last night. I was like, Ryan, are you serious? You're a TikTok star. But you know, like it's, it, in in one swipe it's at, and then the next swipe it's, it's a Ukrainian war. It's yeah, it's, it's the crazy part. My kid couldn't go to sleep the other night because he said uh, we're gonna have World War Three. Yeah, and I was like, what the hell are you watching? You know what I mean? It's like, and it as a parent, I was like, dude, I gotta you know. As much as I have at my house, you better believe I've got a lot of technology, a lot of stuff down at my house. Even at that, even being in technology day to day, I still can't limit a lot of the exposure that our kids have and how that's going to shape them in the future and then in the future and then in the future. Yeah. Well, Drew, I feel like we can talk forever about stuff, (laughs) but we need to cut this podcast off because we're at an hour and 40 minutes. All right, guys, we'll see you on the next session. Peace. (laughs) Take care. (laughs) Dude. <laughs>